episode 110 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And please continue to send in any feedback to contact at tonyoverbay.com or contact at pathbackrecovery.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Virtual Couch, Facebook at Tony Overbay, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, or go to tonyoverbay.com and sign up to get more information on upcoming and exciting news on programs and podcasts and books and uh, all kinds of fun things. All right, that is out of the way. I want to get to my topic today. This is one of those episodes that uh, I've been dying to do for a long time. It's something that I deal with a lot in my practice. And even if this doesn't apply to you, I think this might be an episode that you can hang on to, that you can forward to somebody that might be going through, and you've probably already read it in the title, right? A breakup. And uh, I want to get into the data. I want to get into the evidence around breakups. I want to get into the anecdotal, uh, anecdotal information of what I see on my couch, what works as far as breakups go. And uh, I'm just for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to talk as if the guy is the one who was broken up on, broken up on, is the person who is uh, coming in to see me, who is saying that my wife, or if uh, if they aren't married, my partner, my significant other has broken up with me. Now, what do I do? So, but but you can flip the, the roles, the roles can be reversed, I could be meeting with the woman and the husband has broken up with her. But uh, for the sake of the majority of the work that I see, it is the guy who has been broken up upon. I still don't think that is the correct use of the um, English language in that situation. But I've got two studies that go into this, and I want to talk a little bit about what I see. And and part of the reason why I wanted to do this episode in general, it's because I can still remember to the day. Actually, no, that was pretty dramatic, wasn't it? I remember the person who was the first person that was sitting on my couch and uh, who talked about you know, they had just gone through a, uh, they were, they were in their words, blindsided. Their wife had told them that they, she wanted a divorce and this person had kind of gone off and, uh, they, they, they were on their, on their way to some destructive behavior. And thankfully a friend intervened and had reached out to me and I made some quick time, got somebody in for a bit of an emergency session. And, uh, we were just kind of putting some pieces back together. The person was kind of going on about that. They had been blindsided, that they never saw this coming, this sort of thing. And I remember at one point it was pretty interesting where the, the guy just stopped and he said, wait a minute. She said she would never leave me. And it was almost as if he had had this epiphany. And, and he, I could, I, I feel like he was reaching for his phone that he was in a caller and just say, wait a minute, 10 years ago, you know, you told me when everything was going great that you would never leave me, you know, when we were having pillow talk or whatever it was. And he acted like, okay, there we go. I just need to reach back out to her. I need to remind her that she said she would never leave me. And then, and then all will be well. We'll live happily ever after. And uh, the reason that that was significant to me was just showing how, you know, how hard the brain was working to try to make sense of what was going on and and more importantly, how to put it back together. Because this guy, and now I can honestly say uh, dozens and dozens of men and or women um, that I've met with that just don't know what to do next, don't know how to put a relationship back together. And the, the reality is, can it be put back together? There are often times where when someone finally does say, hey, I'm done, it's they've been they've been building up um, to that moment for a long time. So the person who now feels blindsided, uh, they're trying to recover. They're trying to say, okay, what what do we do? What can we do to fix it? 
where their partner may have been building up to this or, or noticing or um, maybe not feeling heard in the relationship for a long time. And so uh, there are, I mean, of course, I'm a marriage therapist, so I, I do feel like there are ways to repair relationships. And, and uh, thankfully, I've been able to work with um, hundreds of couples and, uh, and watch that process work. And that's a quick plug to go back and listen to any episode on emotionally focused therapy, EFT, because that truly is the, the key. But again, I want to talk about the neuroscience of relationship breakups, and I want to talk in particular about my view on what, what can help. And let me just go ahead and cut to the chase with that part, and then we'll get to the data. But what I like to tell people often, and again, I'm going to work from the, uh, it's a guy. So I, I will find guys will often go into that mode of, you know, they're going to, they're going to get down, they're going to, they're going to withdraw, they're going to get really sad, they're going to pout, and they're going to try to get the relationship back by showing their partner how miserable they are. And I understand it. I mean, I think that that's almost the, the, uh, the path of least resistance that the brain will go to. And the hard part is, if the relationship does come back together temporarily because the guy has proven of how down and sad he is, that hasn't done anything to repair the relationship. That hasn't done anything to address the reason why his wife felt the need to say, I'm done. And we're not even talking about the reasons today. I mean, I could go into, uh, you know, a lot of times there's going to be betrayal, addiction, those sort of things, which is something that needs to be addressed with a professional. But, but I'm just talking in general about when someone finds out that their partner wants to leave and then they withdraw and they get really sad. And, and I feel like when I've worked with enough individuals in that situation, if we can get them to own their own stuff, kind of say, okay, you're right. I'm trying to do that thing where I'm trying to pity them back into the relationship. And that, <clears throat> excuse me, that might just be a temporary fix, but it is not something that is going to be sustainable over the long haul because it doesn't address whatever the underlying issues were that led to the, the relationship dissolving. So in that moment, what I do is I often tell the guy, again, in this situation, that here's, here's what we got to do. We have to get you and we have to raise your emotional baseline. We have to get your baseline so high that one of two things is going to happen. Either she is going to look at you now as the person who is going to own his stuff, um, be humble. He's going to do the work. And she's going to see that guy and say, okay, that's the guy I married. That's the guy that I do not want to lose. And, uh, and the, the, the meanwhile, he's going to feel good about himself. Um, he's probably going to be a better husband. He's going to be a better father. He's going to be better at his job. He's going to put addictions aside. But that guy, the guy whose baseline is high. Now, the second part of that is, let's just say that she is already too far gone, that she's already made up her mind, that she feels like she can't go back into this relationship. The good news is, that guy's emotional baseline is really high. So in that situation, he is going to be the world's greatest co-parent. And then when he does re-enter the relationship scene, he is in a very, very good place. But notice that nowhere in that, that description is there the, and then he often then can go back and make her feel really bad about the fact that, you know, she uh, doesn't want to be with him because that, that here comes in that, that shame part, that guilt part. And in this situation, Again, those are not productive. Those don't address the underlying issues. So, and I can only speak from experience, and then I'm going to th use some data here to back it up, but getting the person, the person who has been left, so the person who is in my office, they have to do the self-care. They have to do the self-reflection. They have to own their own part of what has gone wrong in the relationship. Just saying that that's not fair. I can't believe you're bringing this on me. I can't believe you just kicked me out. Well, I can't believe you're, you left. Any of those while they are normal and natural reactions, sure, we're human, but are those productive reactions? Are those productive solutions 
to whatever led to the breakup in the first place. So let's dig into a little bit of the data, and then I'll kind of go back to some of these points. Um, the first article that I want to talk about is one from a PhD named Melanie Greenberg. She's a clinical psychologist with a private practice down in Marin County. And this is an article, it's from a few years ago, but it's called The Neuroscience of Relationship Breakups. And I think that this is pretty fascinating. Um, Dr. Greenberg says that an unexpected and unwanted breakup can cause considerable psychological distress. We, 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 we've identified that, right? Um, you may feel as if you've been kicked in the stomach or blindsided. There's that word and knocked down. Feelings of rejection and self-doubt are common, as is the feeling of being stuck and unable to let go, even when one wants to. One wants to be able to let go. And here's the hard part as she, as she identifies. A lot of friends, the peanut gallery, they're going to be telling you, just, just move on, man. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. But your brain can't quite just let things go like that. And, and brain research actually shows it can be very difficult to do, especially in the first few months. So let's talk about breakups in the brain. Dr. Greenberg shows, or she shows in her article, the research on relationship breakups, um, the data that is coming in this particular um, study comes from unmarried people, generally college students, and but it does give us some clues to why these events are so subjectively painful. So studies using magnetic resonance imaging, so we got these functional brain scans, fMRIs, they show activity in several specific brain areas when rejected individuals see pictures of their ex-partners. So um, a researcher named Edward Smith, he's a cognitive neuroscientist at Columbia University, and a few of his colleagues, they put flyers out in New York and on ads and social networking sites to recruit participants who had experienced an unwanted breakup in the last six months. So then using these functional brain scans, the researchers assessed which brain areas lit up when the participants looked at pictures of their ex-partners and simultaneously thought about experiences that they had shared together. They compared this to when participants looked at pictures of just a friend, and I love this part, and were exposed to pain via a hot probe on the arm. So here's what the scientists found. They found that the same parts of the brain lit up when individuals looked at the partner pictures or experienced physical pain. So that alone shows you how difficult a breakup can be. That's going to normalize it. It's, yeah, you're going to feel bad. So looking at, at pictures of your ex-partner or having a hot probe on your arm lights up the same areas of the brain. But that same area did not light up when they just looked at friend pictures. So these, these brain regions, um, they're, they're called the insula and the anterior cingulate cortex, are known to be associated with pain experiences. So here's the takeaway there. Our brains appear to process relationship breakups in the same regions as physical pain. Now, this does not mean that romantic rejection causes the actual physical pain, but your brain is signaling that both are very important um, events to pay attention to. And I love what Dr. Greenberg wrote here. She said this might be an evolutionary reason for this. The function of pain is to alert the person to physical danger or harm so that this person can take protective action. In the animal kingdom, one's chances of avoiding predators are much higher as part of a group uh, as part of a group than is alone. So here's that part again of why we why we care about what people think, why we want to be social creatures, because we, we feel safer in a group, safer with a partner. Therefore, social rejection may have been an actual threat to physical survival for our early ancestors. And if this is the case, it might partially explain how difficult it is for many people to let go of an ex-partner and move on, because the brain is saying it, it is at its uh, most primitive form, hey, if you're alone, watch out for that woolly mammoth or that saber-toothed tiger. So people who have recently been rejected by their partners often develop obsessive thinking, and I do see this in my office often. Uh, Dr. Greenberg said they may ruminate persistently about their ex-partner, how they're feeling, whether they're missing the relationship, and so on. These thoughts or feelings of loss may be triggered by places that they used to go to together, um, places where they used to hang out, holidays, rituals that they were shared, triggers 
So, I mean, we know that there are triggers. There are places that you go that are triggers. There are smells, your triggers, songs that are triggers. So in this sense, she says that processing a breakup is a bit like dealing with a trauma. And for those who have experienced a significant breakup, you know that 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 phrase does not sound overly dramatic, that it can be like trauma. The person cycles through periods of avoiding the emotional pain and being able to distract um, themselves by periods of being flooded by intense feelings and obsessive thoughts. They're also seems to be a gender difference and that men are more likely to distract and avoid feelings, shocking, and women more likely to obsess and ruminate. And Dr. Greenberg says this may be because women have been socialized to take more responsibility for relationships, leading to more time spent thinking about what went wrong or what they could have done differently. So there's some recent research, though, that also provides some suggestions that there might be a physiological basis to the cravings for an ex-partner. I thought this was pretty interesting. Lucy Brown PhD, a professor in the Department of Neurology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and her colleagues also used functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRIs, to record the brain activity of 15 college-age adults who had experienced a recent unwanted breakup and reported still feeling love for their ex-partner. Upon viewing photographs of their former partners, there was activity in the ventral tegmental area of the brain, the nucleus accumbens, and the orbio-prefrontal cortex um, there's a mouthful, right? These areas are associated with the reward and motivation, specifically the release of dopamine. There's a, that, that chemical that we talk about often with addiction. And uh, sure enough, um, that is exactly what uh, Dr. Brown talked about, that this is the area that is also seen in drug addiction. Therefore, people may experience cravings for their ex-partner in the same area of the brain, similarly to the way that addicts crave a drug that they are withdrawing from. So this can lead to intense distress and physiological as well as psychological discomfort. So there can literally be a craving of that person, um, the the ex-partner. So one issue with these studies, and I thought this, I'm glad that uh, uh, Dr. Greenberg pointed this out, is that they tend to use a small number of people to respond to advertisements for people who haven't gotten over their ex-partner. So this might be the cream of the crop, the people that are truly struggling to get over their partners and the ones that are willing to come in and have brain scans to look at why they can't get over their partners. So we don't know if those people are representative of the average person who goes through a breakup or whether they will answer the ad because they are especially distressed. And uh, she goes on to say this needs to be determined in future research. But despite the short-term pain of a breakup, longer-term findings do indicate that most people are resilient and will recover. Um, the students in these studies reported feeling significantly less distressed about the breakup after 10 weeks. And also other studies have shown that brain activity, including, uh, in those craving centers decreased as more time passes since the breakup. So the take home message there, uh, Dr. Greenberg said, if there is anything that we can learn from these findings to help people deal with painful breakups, the analogy to addiction and pain may help give people a framework for understanding the intensity of their feelings and can be a basis for developing some self-compassion and realistic expectations so that it is not... Uh, something that they can just simply get over. And self-compassion meaning you might want to give yourself a little bit of time and, and it's okay. You're going to have some down times. You're going to be able to, it's not a bad idea to let those feelings in. And uh, and no, I, I often say that, hey, if you're going to have the pity party, get the hats, get the noisemakers, get the cake, but know that there's uh, oftentimes a, a pretty firm ending to a party. So sometimes I have clients that will kind of say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a weekend or I'm going to have a week where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let myself just kind of feel I'm going to watch romantic uh, comedies. I'm going to listen to sad songs. Um, I'm going to never get out of my sweats. I'm, you know, I'm not going to make my bed. You name it. And then at some point, uh, go ahead and say, all right, after this time, now maybe it's time for me to do the work. Or uh, And not that doesn't mean that I am going to shut off my emotions, but that I'm going to give myself um, maybe a little bit of extra coaxing to start moving forward. So it's just it's a lot harder than just trying to tell yourself, just get over it and move on. So um, give yourself time if, and, and, and give yourself uh, time in your feelings for the first few weeks. So distraction and self-care activities may also help. 
Conditioning theory would suggest that places, people, or activities associated with the ex-partner may be particularly likely to trigger these cravings. These are those triggers that we talked about. So you might want to avoid these for a little while and try to develop some new routines. There's some pretty cool research around just change and how a lot of people fear change. But really, when you do develop these new routines, you know, you have new places to run, new uh, restaurants to go to, um, you know, just new. The, the concept of new and embracing that new does help you avoid a lot of these triggers and some of that emotional pain. Um, Dr. Greenberg said you could try Rick Hansen's approach, which is focused on reprogramming the brain uh, to try and think more positively. Um, as with addictions, it helps to have a support group of people that you can call on when you're tempted to do something foolish, like maybe reach out to your ex. And if your feelings are too intense to manage alone or you find yourself coping in unhealthy ways, then please do seek the help from a professional. So I wanted to hit one more study. Actually, I've got two more. This one's pretty quick too. This is one by Karen Young, and this one's on a website. I love the title, heysigmund.com, talking about Sigmund Freud. And Karen says, uh, breaking up's really hard to do. And it's cleared up with some remarkable new research that explains why. And this one was from a separate study published in the Journal of Neurophysiology that found kind of similar findings, though, that a relationship breakup may feel so painful because it activates the part of the brain, here we go again, associated with motivation, reward, and addiction cravings. So she talks about in this in this uh, research, the researchers recorded the brain activity of people who had recently been through a breakup, were in, still intensely in love with their ex, spent most of their waking hours thinking of them and desperately wanted their relationships back. Participants were shown a photo of their former partner and then distracted from their romantic thoughts by completing a simple math exercise. Then they looked at the photo of a familiar neutral person. And I am horrible at math. So I already feel like this study might be skewed to someone who could maybe do math or actually maybe not. If you can't do math, then uh, that might kind of take you uh, out of your mind a little bit more. So what they found were brain scans showed similarities between romantic rejection and cocaine craving. So looking at photos of their former partner stimulated key areas of the brain to a greater degree than looking at the neutral photos. The key areas were a part of the midbrain that controls motivation and reward and an area associated with craving and addiction, specifically the reward system also active in cocaine addiction. So really talking about that reward system, that uh, the reward center, the where dopamine resides, where dopamine floods the brain in this reward system. And then also the area associated with physical pain and distress, which we talked about in that previous study. And uh, she said in the best bit, the proof that it will pass. The study also found evidence that in relation to a breakup, time does heal. As time passed, brain imaging showed less activity in the area of the brain associated with attachment when the participants looked at photos of their former partners. So over time, the, the area of the brain, you can literally watch it not light up as much as it did when looking at those pictures. So time will heal all wounds. Allow yourself time to heal. Make room for those feelings and uh, maybe do a math problem or two, I think is what we're learning here. One more bit of study. This one's from the American Psychological Association, which I love. They go, uh, this one gets really, really into the, the weeds as far as the, um, the details of the research. Says that although breakups are stressful events, they have potential to produce positive outcomes. Um, and uh, I'll spare you all the, that's according to Tashiro and Frazier in 2003, Tashiro, Frazier, and Berman, 2006. Um, and this, this uh, article is just full of uh, all kinds of those references. But these findings coincide with previous findings that a breakup can lead to positive outcomes such as personal growth, particularly when the former relationship did not provide sufficient opportunities for self-improvement. And I think what's significant there is there's a lot. So what this data is saying is that you can heal, not only heal from a, a breakup, but you can actually grow if you can recognize, have the self-awareness of the areas where your former relationship did not provide sufficient opportunities for self-improvement. So a lot of times people are not being pretty open 
about areas where they are maybe stifled by their partner. And, and I'm not talking, um, I'm, I'm talking about then if they haven't tried to seek help for their relationship. And this is that part where it's important that if you are experiencing challenges in your relationship, go seek help. Um, let's try to avoid that part where we end up blindsiding our partner. So this research also suggests that positive outcomes of a breakup were less likely when people coped by venting, but were more likely when people coped through positive reinterpretation of the breakup experience. That's significant. So when people just go talk to the peanut gallery and say, can you believe what he was doing? And they're just like, yeah, I can't believe he was doing that. You need to get rid of him. So there is a place for venting. I don't want you to, to, to get that wrong. There is a place for venting, but, but only focusing on the venting, it, it does not produce positive outcomes. So um, how, what do you do then, right? So you can vent, but I would also, again, this is where I, again, I'm a professional, I'm a therapist, so I can't lie. Go seek the help of a professional. Oftentimes it is hard to get the peanut gallery to say anything about uh, maybe, and you know what, it doesn't even really come that well. You could even have a member of the peanut gallery who's saying, hey, well, what, what role did you play in this, uh, in the breakup? And you're going to, a lot of times people are going to say, how dare you? I'm, I'm venting. I'm opening up to you. So a lot of times that that is a good place for a professional who can maybe help you explore a lot of the emotions, the feelings, and then try to, to backtrack and maybe see some of the areas where the relationship went off course and even where maybe um, you had played a role, uh, takes two to tango, a lot of cliches like that. But what were the areas that, that uh, where did things go wrong is basically what we're talking about. But here's what I like as well. It says the uh, positively focused writing can help those who have recently experienced breakup purposefully take a new perspective and reinterpret the breakup in beneficial ways. So the resulting positive outcomes can lead to greater resiliency and promote additional positive outcomes. So um, let me get to this. It says the, the, an ideal coping strategy should encourage those who experienced a romantic relationship's end to purposely focus on the positive aspects of their experience while simultaneously minimizing negative emotions. So being stuck in that mode of venting is the part that we've already identified as not productive. And uh, the ideal coping strategy is own your part um, and, and positively focus on the positive aspect, purposely focus on the positive aspects. So, you know, you can, you can still explore and admit those things that were good, minimizing those negative emotions, give them some room, but then don't ruminate on those negative emotions. Exploring positive outcomes in the context of otherwise negative events follows a growing body of literature based in positive psychology that examines the positive elements of, the, of an experience that promote growth and personal prosperity. Um, so what that simply means is it, it doesn't just mean, hey, look at all the good things that you had and stop your complaining. It's like, hey, it makes sense to complain. It makes sense to have those feelings that you have because you are the only one that went through that relationship. You're the only one that brought to the table the expectations, the hopes, the dreams, the experiences from previous relationships. So you are going to feel because of the the uh, breakup. But now let's look at uh, what, what have we learned? And I love that part. I used to say that in therapy at the end. You know, the what have we learned today part. And it's um, that we've explored a lot of the the emotions that we've had and where those come from. And now what do we do with that? So here's where we get into that good old world of acceptance and commitment therapy. If the goal is to become your best self, if the goal is to be there for your kids, if the goal is to uh, not fall into a funk, if any of those are the goal, then you're going to have the emotions. Those are normal. And then you're going to your brain's still going to try to hook you on these thoughts of that's not fair. Okay. True or false? Maybe the breakup isn't fair, but is that a productive thought? Is that a productive um, something, a, a productive thing for your brain to hook or fuse you to? Because then does that get you closer to your goal of being there for your kids or even having that high emotional baseline so, so you can keep the door open for a potential reconciliation? So in fact, research has established that positive emotions can occur following a breakup, 
particularly when the previous relationship did not expand the self and when personal growth occurred after the breakup. That is a key. So this goes back to that, um, and, and that's where I love having data to back it up. But when I talk about a person who has just been broken up on, again, I don't think that's correct, the way to say that, but for them to raise their emotional baseline, here's the data that backs that up. So it talks about, particularly when the previous relationship did not expand the self, and when personal growth occurred after the breakup. So work on that emotional baseline. And I want you to know, there's no part of me that's trying to trick someone into saying, hey, once your baseline is high, you're going to realize you didn't need that person anyway. That's not the point. Um, but let me just throw a note here. I was going to talk about this at the beginning and I didn't look down at my notes at one point, but the reality is a lot of times, let's just go back to the scenario where a wife has, has said, okay, I'm done with you husband. And then I have the husband in counseling and then I, I acknowledge and, uh, we, we process all of the guy's thoughts and feelings and emotions. And again, he's going to have them cause he's a human being and all the things that he brings to the table. That's all okay. But, but then at some point I believe that a lot of women don't feel that the guy will change. This is that part where sometimes maybe they have brought up, we need to go to counseling a lot of times, and the guy said no. And at some point, maybe she's she's kind of had enough. And then I get the guy. And oftentimes, then the guy finally thinks, oh my gosh, it's real. You know, maybe he's been served divorce papers or or whatever it is. And so then the guy does the work. He all of a sudden becomes an, an, an emotionally focused theor- uh, therapy guru, an EFT guru. He now no longer tries to gaslight his partner and make her feel crazy. He becomes a nurtured heart um, expert in parenting, becomes like an, an incredibly patient and empathetic father. And he is now putting together this incredible resume of, of just um, self-development. And his baseline is now high. And this is where, and I've had a few people, and honestly, it's not been as many as I would like to think, but who do this work. They get themselves to this place with this high emotional baseline, and they are more patient with their kids, and they're more empathetic with their spouse. And, uh, and they are doing acceptance and commitment therapy and being more productive and overcoming addictions. And they are this guy that is in this high emotional baseline place. And at that point, then sometimes their partner was not counting on them doing the work. Their partner maybe hasn't been doing her, her or his or her own work. And so, because it was almost like, well, I, I'm not, I can't count on this person to raise their emotional baseline. So when the person that I'm working with gets to that point, bless their heart because they've given us the at least that data now to work with that uh, that their former partner or spouse that at least they're they're in the ball game that person their former partner or spouse can now look at them as oh my gosh they they did do the work they did change now that person can still be fused to the thought of why didn't he do this earlier and uh, that's a true or false statement probably a true one that would be hard but is it, it you know depends on what their goal is if their goal is to reconcile then is that why didn't they do this earlier is that it's a normal thought, but it's a productive one toward um, their goal of, of trying to reconcile. If their goal was already to leave the relationship, you know, they're going to have some cognitive dissonance. They're going to have some uncomfortable feelings because they just watched their partner change finally in the way that they always hoped and dreamed that they would. And so that's the part that is the hardest as a therapist who works in this area, in this field, especially with guys who sometimes have been maybe had anger management issues or had addiction issues or um, have, have not necessarily, they, they've been out working a ton and they haven't necessarily been engaged as a, as a husband or a father. And, and so watching them do all of this hard, incredible work. And those are the, the times when I've never been more proud to be a therapist working with, with men, but that doesn't guarantee that their partner then will see that guy, that guy now on this high emotional baseline place and say, okay, that's my guy. And that is some of the hardest work to, to see and to do. 
But the, 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 the saving grace, the good news there is that now this person is in such a better place. So I uh, went off on a little bit of tangent. So, um, all right, research, positive emotions can occur following a breakup. So e- expressive writing or journaling is an intervention that is well-suited to coping with the breakup due to its focus on cognitive processing, simple format, successful track record. So here's what that looks like. I used to have a hard time. I mean, it, when you're in grad school, you would end up uh, signing the homework of journaling to every fictitious person or couple that you would see when you were doing uh, role play therapy. And then they would all say, oh my gosh, that sounds like a great idea. And uh, so they could, we could all get a good grade. But the reality is a lot of times you will assign someone journaling and then they don't journal and then they come in and then they feel bad about not journaling. And then over time, this is where some of that interesting research says that um, it, it can be difficult to give homework to clients because when they don't do it, um, because things get in the way or they feel like, you know, um, that, that really isn't necessary for me, then oftentimes then they come back into therapy, feel bad, and it gives them a, see, man, I can't even do therapy well kind of a, a reason. But this is just showing that um, there is there is some really good research around writing, writing about your feelings. Um, here's what's pretty interesting, though, specific to the writing. So researchers, let's see, uh, where'd it go? Okay, those, there, there, okay, here we go. Consistent with this approach, researchers have examined whether a writing-based intervention facilitated coping with a romantic breakup in nearly 100 single participants who experienced breakup in the past three months. Those in the experimental group wrote about the positive aspects of their breakup. A separate group wrote about the negative aspects, while a third group wrote about a superficial topic not related to the breakup. I, I just love, I've never been doing, I've never been one to conduct research, but I would just love that where you got the group coming in and you got, uh, you know, a third of them and you're saying, hey, write about the positive things about your your relationship and what was good about it. And what did you learn about that? For another one that says, just another third, you say, just write about just, you know, the negative things, like all the things that went wrong in your relationship. And then a third group, they said, you know, I don't know, uh, write about pirates. I don't know what it was, but but then and then to see what the data brought them back about uh, relationships. So all three groups wrote for 15 to 30 minutes a day for three consecutive days without receiving any feedback from the experimenter. And uh, what they found was, and you probably can see where this one's going, but the group that wrote about positive emotions had uh, far more positive regard with um, their feelings of uh, moving forward of being better husbands and fathers and all of those wonderful things and the group that wrote about the negative experiences and the group that wrote about pirates or unicorns or any of those kind of things were kind of in a similar place where it wasn't as productive. They didn't express or show those feelings of happiness or growth. So um, breaking up, it is definitely hard to do, but uh, but know that there is data to back up that um, you will be okay. And uh, And I have found that some of the most positive things that one can do is, of course, not to go back in and try and guilt or pity or shame someone back into a relationship, but to to be very empathetic, um, seek to understand why did someone get to the position where they said, hey, I can't take this anymore, um, and then to really do some nice um, self-reflection of uh, own your own stuff that led up to the breakup, and uh, and then raise that emotional baseline. Do that self-care and put yourself in a position that that baseline is so high that either either your partner is going to say, man, that's the guy. That's the one that I do not want to lose out on, um, you know, what that guy's selling. And uh, But even if your partner can't get themselves to that place, then you are in a position with a high emotional baseline to be the world's greatest co-parent and to go back out and, and have a healthy relationship and again, if you're doing this in particular for your kids, uh, research is there where it shows that, you know, your kids want to see healthy relationships. So um, get yourself in a position where you're either going to reintegrate with your with your spouse and, and show them that healthy relationship, or you are going to be, the again, the world's greatest co-parent 
and, uh, and, and hopefully experience a positive relationship moving forward, as will your spouse. Um, but it's okay to have those emotions. If you're going to have a pity party, go ahead and get hats and balloons, maybe even get a cake. But uh, remember, the party is going to end at some point. Um, have those emotions, but then uh, what do you do with them? So um, try, to, uh, try to avoid those triggers when you can. And uh, don't just turn to venting. Remember, we read the data around that. And uh, focus on the, the positive aspects of the relationship, but also what did we learn? How can I grow from that experience? And uh, hopefully this will ease your um, situation if you are going through a breakup. Uh, this is one that go ahead and send this to friends or family or loved ones if they are experiencing a breakup, a divorce, that sort of thing. Um, because I really think the overall message I hope that they will get if they have made it this far is to to not try to pity or or anger or guilt your way back into a relationship, but uh, just be there. Listen to the person. If, they, if they're still open for it, go get some help. If not, you go get help and uh, raise that emotional baseline and just be the very best person that you can be. Uh, that's all we got for today. I will see you next time on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressure's up